Uh, we're going to go ahead and look at our passage for today, which is in the book of Micah, Micah chapter 1, the whole chapter. So be patient as we read this whole chapter. There's a lot of strange names in here. So um, here it is. The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morishite, what he saw regarding Samaria and Jerusalem in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, all you peoples, pay attention, earth, and everyone in it. The Lord God will be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is leaving his place and coming down to trample the heights of the earth. The mountains will melt beneath him and the valleys will split apart like wax near a fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. And all this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Isn't it Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the countryside, a planting area for a vineyard. I will roll her stones into the valley and expose her foundations. All her carved images will be smashed to pieces, and all her wages will be burned in the fire. And I will destroy all her idols. Since she collected the wages of a prostitute, they will be used again for a prostitute. Because of this, I will lament and wail. I will walk barefoot and naked. I will howl like jackals and mourn like ostriches. For her wound is incurable and has reached even the Judah. It, is, it has approached my people's city gate as far as Jerusalem. Don't announce it in Gath. Don't weep at all. Roll in the dust, Beth Leopra. Depart in shameful nakedness, you residents of Shafir. The residents of Za'anan will not come out. Beth Azel is lamenting. His support is taken from you. Though the residents of Maroth anxiously wait for something good, disaster has come from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the horses to the chariot, you residents of Lachish. This was the beginning of sin for the daughter of Zion. Because of Israel's acts of rebellion can be traced to you. Therefore, send farewell gifts to Morasheth Gath. Houses of Akzib are a deception to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror uh, against you who live in Merashah. The nobility of Israel will come to Adullam. Shave yourselves bald and cut off your hair in sorrow for your precious children. Make yourselves as bald as an eagle, for they have been taken from you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we are all gathered here in your presence to listen to you, to do what this passage calls us to do, to listen, everyone, the whole earth and everyone in it, to the word of the Lord. And uh, God, we pray that uh, you would give us a heart to do so, not to listen to ourselves or to our culture or to anyone else, but to submit humbly to what your spirit is speaking to us through the scriptures and pray that we would bear fruit in our lives as a result and we would be better people. We'd be the people that are molded and shaped into the image of your son, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Uh, so uh, if you're new with us this morning, we are currently in, uh, working through the book of Micah and this is our second week uh, looking at the book of Micah in our series that we uh, titled uh, Future Now. So 
Uh, as we said uh, at the beginning this morning, we do want to be a welcoming church. We want to be an inviting church, a loving church to me, community. So, uh, so today I would like to talk to you about the judgment of God. How's that sound? Okay, great. A couple people are excited about that. I know that's why you, what you, why you, you came here this morning. You woke up this morning, came out, the birds were chirping. It was a beautiful day. Like in the 70s, you thought, man, I need a good dose of judgment this morning. All right, so I know that's why you're all here, so I'm going to give that to you this morning. But we don't tend to think about judgment like, like that in our culture, do we? Um, for some reason, uh, me and my family, we started watching Dr. Pimple Popper. Stay away from that show, by the way. Um, Dr. Sandra Lee, uh, she's a dermatologist, and she likes to pop big pimples. And uh, the first episode really messed me up. I'm traumatized from that. But this dude had a big whole bump on his knee, right? And she took that scalpel and went to work on that thing. And I'm telling you, a bucket of cottage cheese came out of that dude's knee. Yeah, the same thing happened to me. My stomach went like upside down. Uh, when I saw, and I had, I had, I mean, I hunt deer and, you know, process deer and everything, but that messed me up for some reason. But um, that is how people think about the judgment of God in our culture. That's how we feel uh, about it. Uh, being labeled as judgmental is like the, one of the worst uh, labels that could be put on a person, right? Or being judged by someone, right? We don't, we don't like that, right? Because only God can judge us. Um, you know, uh, we want to just want to be left alone and want to do whatever we want to do. And if anyone's got a different opinion uh, about it, then uh, we don't like that because we don't uh, like to be uh, judged. But few things are stressed more strongly in the Bible than the reality of God's work as judge. And Jesus Christ himself talked more about the judgment of God than anything else. Also, he was the most loving person who ever existed. So, and Jesus said that everything in the prophets, everything in books like the book of Micah, all the judgment of God can be summed up in two simple commands. And those two simple commands are love God and love your neighbor. So Jesus says all that stuff about judgment equals loving somebody. Think about that. Uh, so, understanding the judgment of God ought to make you a more loving person. So, I've got three reasons judgment makes you a more loving person. You, got, you guys ready for this this morning? All right, number one, you, the number, first reason is the judgment of God makes you a more loving person is you actually know yourself. Um, I work as a case manager uh, in uh, substance abuse uh, here in the county, and people often come to me and will say things like this, Ricky, I'm lost. I'm lost. Well, understanding the judgment of God helps you know where you are and who you are. This is because the judgment of God helps us understand why we make judgments in the first place. You guys ever make a judgment about something? Yeah, a judgment is simply a decision about something. That's all it is, a decision about what you should do, shouldn't do, what other people should do, ought to do, ought not uh, to do, everybody uh, makes uh, judgment. It's hard not to. Uh, let me prove it to you. What if I feel like my personal mission in life, like, like my best life, is to go around and be the most judgmental person I can possibly be? It's like, man, these people constantly looking down at people. Like, unreal. This is pathetic. These people. All right. 
Something with inside you tells you that's probably not the, what you should do with your life, Ricky. That's probably not uh, the mission that you, you should have uh, for your life. But says who? Who are you to judge me? Because only God can judge me, right? So uh, I can live however I, however I, however I want to live. All right, to disagree with anyone about anything is a judgment, by the way. So it, to disagree with anyone about anything is a judgment. And the only thing that makes sense out of the fact that we live in a world where we, we think about things like should and ought to and good and bad and evil is because there is a God who is the judge of all the earth, that there is a God who created everything, who made everything. This is his world. We operate in his domain, and he's the one who says that this, there is good, there is bad, there's evil, there's judgment, there's right and wrong, and, and all of these things. Now, if that's not true, if that God doesn't exist, then everyone needs to stop complaining about other people's decisions. Does this make sense to you? If that God is not there, then people can live however they want because there is no such thing as right and wrong. So stop complaining. But he is there. And he is the judge of all the earth. Micah chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 puts it like this. The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morishite, what he saw regarding Samaria and Jerusalem in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Listen, all you peoples of peoples, pay attention, earth and everyone in it. The Lord God will be a witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. Last week we talked about how the book of Micah is seven chapters, uh, but it's really condensed into three sermons or three messages. And each of those sermons is a message of warning, judgment, and hope. All right, so we're in chapter one. This is obviously warning and judgment um, here in uh, chapter one. So Micah, the prophet, is warning uh, the nation of Israel about their impending judgment that's coming upon the nation because of their rebellion and uh, their sin against God. And uh, he, he, he talks about the northern kingdom here. There was the kingdom of, uh, of Israel was divided at the time. The northern kingdom here is called uh, um, Jerusalem or, or, or Samaria. And the southern is uh, designated as uh, Samaria or, or Jerusalem, sorry. Northern is Samaria, northern kingdom. The southern is uh, Jerusalem, right? So uh, these two kingdoms were often at war. Their, their, their kingdom was divided. They were often at civil war uh, with one another. Micah calls us all to listen up this morning. And if we do, this is what we're going to learn about ourselves. There's a difference between us and God, all right? See, the judgment of God teaches us that, that there's a difference between us, us and him. There's a God and there's us. And there's a big difference between uh, the two. First is, we're not God, right? We can't legislate what is right and wrong. We can't determine a meaning for ourselves and create our own realities and uh, all that stuff. Uh, he says here, the Lord God will be a witness against you, the Lord, from his holy temple. The picture here is of the transcendence of God, right? That God is above us that God is beyond us, that God is uh, better than us, that God shows up in judgment right on time, and no one can stop him. No nations, no leaders, no presidents, no armies, nothing. It says that God is coming from his holy temple. It means that God is pure, that he's good. God never gets it wrong. Not once. All his judgments are just. You cannot pay God off. Listen, we live in a world of a lot of corruption. 
and we feel that right now. But you know what? Not God. He is not corrupt. He sees behind closed doors and everything that's done in the darkness, you know, he's going to bring to light. God is completely under control with his judgment. He's not emotionally uh, out of control. He doesn't fly off at the handle like we do and just lose it. God never changes. He's immutable. That means his judgments from the very beginning all the way up to today are consistent. He does exactly what he's promised. Look what it says in verses 3 and 4. Look, the Lord is leaving his place. He's coming down to trample on the heights of the earth. The mountains will melt beneath him and the valleys will split apart like wax near a fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. Notice here that, that uh, it says that, that the Lord is leaving his place. He's coming down to trample upon the heights of the earth. God has to come down to the mountains, right, the heights of the earth. Now, we live in the mountain state. Right, we have, we're, we're, we're surrounded by a lot of beautiful mountains, ridges, hollers, and hills here, and we have to go up. Right, we have to go up. God comes down. Right, we're going on a, a staycation next week, and we're going to go camping. And our, our campsite, we have to go over several mo- mountains just to get to the campsite. You see, but God comes down. we got to go up. God, God comes down. And the emphasis here is on how small we are how finite we are, and how transcendent and infinite and powerful God is. It says the mountains will melt beneath him and the valleys will split apart like wax near a fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. This is what theologians call a theophany. A theophany is just an appearance of God where his his presence, his activity is made known and visible uh, to people, Right? A theophany, this is God showing up and doing stuff. You see that? That's what's going on here. God is doing things. And what is God doing here? Well, he's coming in judgment. Right? He's coming to this world that God has fitted together in his wisdom, that God has welded together by his, his power, and when he comes in judgment, it comes apart. It unravels. It, it, it melts in his presence, Right? This is telling you that God is your creator. This is why you exist. This is why you got breath in your lungs. This is why uh, you, you're, you're alive today and your heart is beating. This is your purpose in life because God put you here. This is his world. He made you uh, for himself. Why is God so upset in this passage? Why is he so upset? And the answer according to the passage is prostitution. Not prostitutes. Prostitution. Let me show you. Verses 5 through 7. All right, the judgment is coming. All this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Isn't it Jerusalem? Therefore, this is God's judgment. I'm going to make Samaria a heap of ruins. He's going to destroy it in the countryside, a planting area for a vineyard. I will roll her stones into the valley and expose her foundations. All her carved images will be smashed to pieces and her wages will be burned in the fire. I will destroy all her idols. Right here it is. Since she collected the wages of a prostitute, they will be used again for a prostitute. So when Micah says here, uh, he mentions the high places uh, of Judah. Right? He's talking about um, places where false gods will be worshipped. 
places where idols uh, would be worshipped. And often uh, at these places uh, of, of pagan idolatry, sexual immorality would often uh, be involved. There were male and, and female cult prostitutes. And listen, whenever we turn away from the creator God, the God of the scriptures, sexual brokenness and sexual immorality uh, are always uh, the result. And this is the world that we live in. This is the society that we live in where if you say anything about uh, someone's sexual uh, desires or preferences, then you're being judgmental. But that's the result of idolatry. It's the result of uh, paganism and worshiping uh, false gods. So God is saying that the nation of Israel prostituted themselves out to these other gods. And that is sh- the shocking thing is that God is telling us to listen up to this because if not, we will never know ourselves. You will never know yourselves unless you understand what God is saying here. He is saying that idolatry, the worship of false gods, is our main problem in life. That is clear across uh, the, the scriptures. And one of the main ways that the Bible talks about idolatry is prostitution. I'll give you an example. A contemporary of Micah was a guy named Hosea. Look what he says in cha- uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Down at the end there. They have played the prostitute. This is Israel. Serving other gods, deserting their God. So when we desert our God, our creator, and we go after other gods, whatever it might be, then we play the prostitute. You see that? Uh, in 2010, uh, we moved into uh, a very rough area in the city of Richmond. I lived there for almost a decade. And the street, we, and we moved there to, to be a blessing, love and serve the community and share the gospel and, and things like that. But the street in front of me was literally called the Dope Strip. The street beside me was called the Whore Store. Right? And, you know, the, sometimes the two, uh, they cross-pollinated a lot. Right? So, um, for about a decade, I witnessed everyday prostitution. And um, the, literal, the literal reality of prostitution is horrifying and shocking. And God is saying to us, this is exactly what we do with him. We leave the loving arms of our creator and we prostitute ourselves out to other gods, whatever they might be. And this is because God created us to be lovers, right? This is who you are. You're a lover, baby. You you created to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love somebody else, love your neighbor, love and serve them, right? But because we are bent, because of sin, we go after other lovers. We pursue other lovers, and we get in bed with them to get what we want, right? Whether it be money, drugs, alcohol, sex, it, it can be a thousand different things. This is what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, all that we call human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. How true. And Micah is saying this God, this God who's transcendent, this God who's infinite, this God who's eternal, this God who's all-powerful is your creator, that he made you and you were made for him. You were made to find your rest and your peace and your security, and your excitement, and your identity, and everything in the God who made you. But we all look for those things in other things. We look for our identity, who we are. Uh, We look uh, for our security, our excitement, 
our love, our acceptance in things other than the God of the Scriptures. Let me ask you, I want you really to think about it. Don't give me the Sunday school answer. Jesus, God, Bible, really think about it. What is it that you really think will make you happy? Like if we were to hit rewind on your week and we projected it right here and we hit play and we all watched it, what would we determine you really think is going to make you happy in life? How would you answer that? See, being a Christian means understanding these things. It means knowing that we are all lovers and that we go after other lovers and that being a Christian means daily and maybe even moment by moment turning away from these other lovers and going back home to your your creator, going back home to your husband who's your creator God, turning away from idols and this is repentance, turning away from sin and turning to Jesus to receive forgiveness, to receive grace and to, to walk in your identity as a Christian. That's number one. That's number one. So three reasons judgment makes you more a loving person. Number two, you will be less judgmental. If you understand the judgment of God, you're going to be way less judgmental. Mike is a a case in point. Look at what it says in 8 and 9. Because of this, because of God's judgment, I will lament and wail. I will walk barefoot and naked. I will howl like the jackals and mourn like ostriches. For her wound is incurable and has reached even the Judahs, approached my people's city gate as far as Jerusalem. I mean, look at this guy. I mean, he, when he thinks about the judgment of God, he's utterly undone. He's broken because he knows about God's judgment. He says he's going to lament. And lament is what you do at a funeral. Right? It's pain. It's grief. It is mourning. Um, after community group, a couple weeks ago, we were hanging out outside. It was dark. And I kept hearing something like it was like a baby crying. And uh, we were trying to figure out what it was. And we determined that it was probably some baby coyotes that were, were howling over across the street. Micah says, that's what, that, this is Micah. Micah says he's going to howl, right, that he's going to wail. He's going to cry out because of uh, the judgment of God. See, when you know God's judgment, this is how you feel about other people. You have a broken heart. Not a judgmental heart. You have a broken heart because you know they're, 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 they're lost and they're without Christ. And they're, they're, they're condemned uh, where they stand already. And so why would, you, why would you have a judgmental heart towards them and in and, uh, and, and arrogance? Micah says he's going to go barefoot and naked. By doing this, he is symbolizing the type of judgment that's going to come on the nation of Israel. That their foreign armies are going to come in. Capture them, strip them naked, and humiliate them as they take them on out of their homeland. That's what, that's what the foreign uh, armies did back then. They utterly humiliated you, made you walk back to their country naked. Micah is torn apart because of God's judgment. It's an incurable wound, he says. It's like a disease that spreads. It spreads all the way, he said, to the, to the capital city of uh, Jerusalem. You know... It would be hard to uh, go around uh, naked and be judgmental, wouldn't it? Think about it. You, you guys already got it. Like, man, pff, these people. These people are unreal. It's like, bro, you ain't got no clothes on. You need to put some clothes on before you start talking to anybody, right? But it's really a great image for Christians, though, strip naked. Don't literally strip naked, but metaphorically 
Strip yourself of everything that you have to boast in. That's what uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. It is from him, it's from God that you are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the one who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. See that? God is the one who has saved us and united us to his son. All the wisdom that we have is from Christ. All of our righteousness, that means all of our goodness, our ethics, our morality come from Christ, not from us. Our sanctification, that means our being holy, belonging to God and becoming more like Jesus, that's from God and Christ, not from us. Our redemption, no one saves themselves. No one, no one uh, is freed from sin on their own or rescued. It is from God in Christ. So God did that for us in Jesus. Look at this. In order that, as it is written in the book of Jeremiah, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see that? Here's what this means. We're not good people. God is. Christians are not good people. God did just call us all prostitutes, including myself. Right? We're prostitutes in God's eyes, you know, apart from Christ. So the only thing that we have to boast in is him. As Christians, the only boast that we have is Jesus. Therefore, Christians ought to be the least judgmental people on earth. You tracking with me? I'll give you an example. Uh, I watched an NBC uh, interview with a well-known pastor. And, you know, the, the, the interviews for NBC were not being uh, the most loving people. They were not being the most charitable people that they could be. The interview asked this pastor, if your town became more Christian, how would it change? And he immediately responded, you get a lot more tolerance. And the interviewer responded, well, your critics say that you're intolerant. What would change? And then he listed things that people had done to people in his church in that town. And he said, people would stop spitting on our windows. They wouldn't try to run our people out of town. You wouldn't accuse us of being a cult. See, judgmental people believe that they're good people. They have some reason... Some moral high ground that they're standing upon by which they say, can't believe that guy, those people over there, can't believe this group or that group. They're standing upon something. Is that you here this morning? Is that you um, uh, here this morning? Not Christians. We don't believe that we're good people. The best Christian who ever lived was the Apostle Paul, and he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. The best Christian said he was the worst sinner. Think about that. We believe as Christians that we are deserving, rightfully so, of the judgment of God. But we haven't been given it because of Jesus. Like, that's why we sing songs uh, like the Rock of Ages that says, Naked come to thee for dress. Yeah, this is, this is the Christian life. I have, I'm stripped naked of all of my goodness and all my morality and my resume that I would bring before God or before my friends or before culture, I got nothing to stand upon. I come to Christ to be dressed in his morality, in his righteousness. See, we're all like Micah. We got nothing good apart from being clothed with Christ, and praise God for that. 
And knowing this, knowing this makes us the most loving, the least judgmental, most fun people to be around. Now, we don't have to fake it. We don't have to fake it and put on, we don't have to dress ourselves up and some, uh, we don't have to play pretend and put on a front. You know, we can, we can chill out a little, it's okay. I mean, God called us a prostitute and he still loves us. What, who cares what everybody else thinks? He said the worst things that could ever be said about us. But yet he loves us more than uh, we could ever, ever uh, possibly imagine. We're accepted by him. We don't have to seek the approval of other people. All right? Uh, this makes us um, a little less judgmental. Number three, you'll know what real love is. Three reasons the judgment of God makes you a more loving person. And number three, most importantly, you'll know what real love is. It's hard to be a loving person when you don't know what love is. Love is not love, by the way. That's nothing. I could put anything in there. Love is what God says it is. Look at, look at this last part of this passage here. Uh, Micah 10, uh, 1, 10 through 16. By the way, I had to practice reading these names numerous times this morning. I still don't know if I got them right, but anyway. Don't announce it in Gath. These are towns. Don't weep at all. Roll in the dust, Beth Leopra. Depart in shameful nakedness, you residents of Shafir. The residents of Za'anan will not come out. Beth Ezel is lamenting. Its support is taken from you. Though the residents of Maroth anxiously wait for something good, disaster come from, comes from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the horses to the chariot, you residents of Lachish. This was the beginning of sin for the daughter of Zion, because Israel's acts of rebellion can be traced to you. Therefore, send farewell gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Exib are a deception to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror against you who live in Marashah. The nobility of Israel will come to Adalam. Shave yourselves bald and cut off your hair in sorrow for your precious, stone, your precious children. Make yourselves bald as an eagle, for they have been taken from you into exile. So what is going on here with this strange list of names, right? Micah is looking out at the surrounding region, and he's calling them out, right? Like if I said, hey, Greggy Capen, y'all need, need to listen up. It's going to happen. Largent, it's going down. Paul, Paul, you need to take heed. Hedgesville, Martinsburg, Hancock, get ready. Hagerstown, Baltimore, D.C. These are real places. These are real words about real things that happen. God sent his judgment against these communities. And here's what his judgment looked like. It looked like the Assyrian army coming in, capturing northern Israel all the way up to the gate of Jerusalem. Years later, God sent the Babylonians in, right? And they just destroyed the countryside. And they burnt the temple of Israel to the ground. Micah's message, again, is warning, judgment, and hope. And you might be thinking here this morning, well, where's, where's the hope at uh, in the midst of all this? And let me put it to you like this. There's a pastor. His name was uh, Tim Keller. He pastored uh, downtown uh, uh, Manhattan, New York, for several decades. And uh, he wrote a really good article called The Importance of Hell. I read it for the first time uh, recently. And he says that during his ministry there, you can imagine, in the heart of New York City, he got a lot of pushback. He got a lot of questions, a lot of objections to Christianity. 
People would say things like this. My God is too loving to pour out his judgment on anyone for sin. So then he would ask, well, what did it cost your kind of God to love us? And everyone needs to consider that question here this morning, whether you consider yourself to be a Christian or not. If you're spiritual, maybe you're agnostic, you believe something's out there rather than nothing, and you believe that that God is is a loving God or there's a loving spirit out there, what did it cost your God or your spirit to love you? And, you know, he would preach to them the good news of the cross, of Christ, and they would say, I don't think all that was necessary. All that death and that blood and, and Jesus dying for our sins, and that, that's not necessary for, for God to love us. And so this is what he says in that article. But then ironically, in our effort to make God more loving, we have made him less loving. His love in the end needed to take no action. Is that your God? Your God has taken, taken no action to love you. He's done nothing. It was sentimentality, not love. And sentimentality is just feeling. Right? It, it, is, it is love without truth. Like it's a feeling of love, but there's no, is there a reality to your spirituality? Is, there, is your God real? Like, can we put a date on it? Like in 586 B.C. when God sent the Babylonians in uh, to judge Israel? Or can we, can we make it like 30 A.D. where Christ was crucified at the cross in history? Not love at all. The worship of a God like this, look at this, will be at most impersonal. That means that God is not a person. It's cognitive. It's in your mind. It's just thoughts. It's ethical. It's just some paths to walk in, some little tricks and, and techniques to maybe have a better life or some meditation. There will be no joyful self-abandonment. See, when you know that the God, the, your creator God could have rightly judged you, but instead he came and took the judgment himself, right? You will give everything over to him. Right? You will do whatever he asks you to do. You will do it and enjoy God. Tell me what to do, please, right now, because I want to follow you, right? There will be, it, without the God of the scriptures, there is no humble boldness, right? See, if you know that, God loved you so much and sent his son to die for you, right? Yeah, nothing to boast in, but you will be bold. You will have courage because it doesn't matter. Who can judge you? If God is for you, who can be against you, right? And there will be no constant sense of wonder. Wow. The infinite God, the eternal God, the creator God stepped down and took flesh upon himself and lived for me and died for me. Right? That's that's an antidote for boredom. See, our God is the judge of all the earth, and he loves us with a love that is real and is personal, and it was costly to him. And this is the message of the book of Micah. This is the message of Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus came and said he was going to do. Look at John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. These are the the words of Jesus himself. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. There's your definition of love. Be a loving person the way that I loved you. See that? No one has greater love than this and to lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you in judgment at the cross. We just sang about it. At the wrath of God, the anger, the just judgment of God was satisfied 
at the cross because every sin on him was laid. Praise God for that. This is why Jesus came. This is why he died. He took your place at the judgment at the cross, and he says, that's real love. As I have loved you, he substituted himself for you at the cross. He says, that's love. That's real love. Real love is his love. It is a willing self-sacrifice on the behalf of other people who don't deserve it. At the cross, Jesus died for you where you deserved it, but he took it. Right? We deserve judgment, but he got it instead. That's his love, right? He, he did it for us. His love is free. Right? He, did, he didn't make us earn it, and we can never pay it back. But he's, he's accomplished it for it. This is his love. And when you understand that Jesus Christ took the judgment that was meant for you, it makes you into a loving person. How can it not? How can it not? That's what Jesus says. No greater love has anyone than this. Tell me, is there a greater motivation in all the world to love somebody than the love of Christ? Can someone tell me something greater? Please come see me after the service if you got something better. And this, so this is why we love one another. This is why we will be loving people, right? This is my command, love one another, because you understand the judgment of God fell upon Christ and, and not you. I love what Isaac Watts in his, uh, his hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, says, love so amazing, so divine. See that? The love of God in Christ Jesus, you can spend all eternity mining the gold out of the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is so amazing. It is so infinite. It is so powerful. It is so wise. It is so wondrous and so beautiful, so divine because God did it. And what is the result? It demands my soul, my life, and my all. And this is true for us all here today. The love of Christ, the love of God in Christ demands your soul. Have you given your soul to Jesus? Have you, you have two options in life. That is to stand before God on your moral high ground at the judgment. Or you can come over here, not literally right here, but you can give your soul over to Jesus and stand, stand secure, stand joyful without fear at the judgment of God in Christ, because the judgment, every sin on him was laid, right? This love demands your life, and it demands your all. Thank God that we can give those things over to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do now.